Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you hold all our todays and all our tomorrows. Father, we are so grateful that as, as believers, we are assured, we know where we're going to be tomorrow. Father, and I pray that if there is anyone here who has not made that commitment, who has not accepted you as Lord and Savior of their lives, that today will be that day. Father, open our hearts now. Prepare us for the message from your word. We commit this sermon, this day to you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I'd like to spend some time today talking about the subject of standards. It's a word that we're all familiar with, but it it has so many different meanings and contexts in our lives. Standards. Think about it. We have so many books in our world and in our society, society today. We have concepts and ideologies and we have courses and seminars all devoted to raising the standard of living. You can't, you can't turn on the TV at night without seeing some television infomercial for raising your standard of living. We strive to, uh, to raise our assets and investments We strive to lower our our debts and liabilities, all in an effort to raise our standard of living. And And the thinking goes that if we raise our standard of living, there's a direct impact. It raises our quality of life. Well, this morning, we're going to look exactly at this, raising our standard of living, but not our financial, physical or material standard. We're going to look at our spiritual standard. So let's start today by defining what exactly a standard is. If we, if we open the dictionary, we read that a standard is an acknowledged measure of comparison, a criterion, an object that defines or represents. So it's clear to us that, that the standard sets the bar, right? It defines the way we should behave. And it's certainly clear to us in our everyday physical world, right? Look around us. We live and adhere to the rules of our land. We have standards in the forms of laws and rules and guidelines. And we adhere to them in almost every aspect of our physical lives. When you drive, we drive according to the rules of the road, right? There's standards and codes, architectural standards. Ask Greg. There's standards for our buildings, our homes, our schools. There's standards for electricity, power and water. There's technical standards, right, for computers and communications, for television broadcasts, for news publications. You you hear the word acceptable standards of behavior in our workplace, in our schools, in our courthouses, in our government buildings, in our commercial and industrial sectors. Standards govern every part of our physical lives and our behavior. We accept these and for the most part as a society, we live by them, right? Are they well known? Are they published? Are they publicly available? You bet. We've got law books and rule books. We have employee handbooks, school guidelines, contracts, association bylaws. We've got endless lists of documentation for how we should live, for the standards that govern our world. And it's important for us to understand who sets these. Right? It's, it's not a mystery here. They're set by people to govern people. 
They're set by governing bodies. They're set by councils and governments, associations and committees. They're set by vote. They're set by majorities. Oftentimes they're set by historical precedents. They're written and rewritten, worked and reworked. They're passed and overturned, visited and revisited. So do they change? Yeah, they do. Standards change in our physical world. They change to fit the society of the day. We've seen this a lot recently. Think about the FCC. They've, they've tightened the standards of what's acceptable on television and radio recently. We've seen standards in our business world tightened greatly as a result of certain financial abuses. And we've seen, unfortunately, standards, social standards, just continue to sink to new lows every day. So, so the question is, how are these standards enforced? So, so rules are out there. Are they enforced? How is accountability enforced? Have you ever paid a traffic fine? Have you ever paid a parking fine? Sure, we've got fines and levies. We have police departments. We have jails. We have checks and balances. We have impeachment hearings, even at the highest levels. Right? If you don't abide by the standards of our land, there are consequences. You can lose your money. You can lose your job, your possessions, your position your investments, even your very freedom. And in the worst cases, you can lose your life. So it's clear to us that the physical standards around us, they're well-defined and they're generally well-accepted. We know who defines them. We know how they're defined. We know how they're enforced. But what about the standards of the soul? We don't think about these too often. What about spiritual standards? Who sets these? Well, unfortunately, when we begin to talk about spirituality, here's where the baton gets passed to organized religion. And I say it's unfortunate because you get such a hodgepodge mix of answers here. If you ask most organized religions today, they'll tell you that governing bodies set the standard. Meetings are held, discussions are made, ruling bodies debate and assess and revisit and reassess. They write and rewrite the standard. And when they're completed with this year's standard, for how we should live, they're passed on to the masses as a charter for our behavior, for a charter of what's morally acceptable, for a charter of who, who we should veto, who we should uh, not go to. We shouldn't go to Disneyland this year. We should stay away from this because of certain things. And the church takes on the responsibility for enforcing this. They become the reference for accountability. So within this thinking, if you have an issue with, with a moral or ethical standard, with a way of life, or an ideology, your issue is with the governing body, your issue is with the church. So let's, let's take a look. Let's debunk this right away. Nothing could be farther from God's purpose. Scripturally, no church, no ruling or governing body sets the spiritual standard. God does. It's the responsibility of the church only to preach it, to teach it, and to encourage living up to God's standard. And this is so much the story here in this church. When you walk through those doors, you will always hear preached from behind every pulpit, taught in every Bible study, God's standard for our lives, how he wants us to live. And it's not our standard. No one here defines, writes, rewrites, alters the standard. It is God's standard. Our responsibility is only to preach it, to teach it, and to encourage it. So if you have an issue with the standard, your issue is with the source of the standard not the standard bearers. Amen? Amen? So what else will this world tell you? 
For many, tradition sets the standard. We live the way we were taught to live. We live how our parents lived before us. We take on their beliefs. We inherit what they taught us, what they believed, and how they lived our lives. So let's take a look at this. Now, keep in mind, tradition, heritage, legacies, these are all wonderful things to uphold. But when they become the charter for how you live your life, when you live according to how someone lived before you, blindly not knowing why something, something's gone wrong. You see, you can't have real faith in something. You can't truly believe in something without knowing why. Well, everyone before me believed it, so it must be true. That's not an answer. That's not justification for how you live your life. Faith has to be personal. You have to know what you believe and why you believe it. So what else? What else does this world tell you? What other ideologies for spiritual standards are out there? Well, ask humanists. They'll tell you there's no one standard. It's up to you. The way you live your life is in your hands. You should define your own personal standard based on what you believe is right, based on your priorities, based on your own morals. There is no reference point. The standard is yours. Everybody should have their own standard. What do you think would happen if tomorrow morning new laws were passed, governors across every state issued new legislation, rule books and law books were changed, and uh, law enforcement took notice that the driving speed limit was dropped. Everybody, adhere to your own standard. Adhere to what you think is right, what you feel is safe. Adhere what works for you. Within the first hour of the morning commute, mass chaos would erupt. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. We need standards. We need rules. We need measures for how we live and how we behave. So what makes us think that this is so needed in our physical world, but spiritually, anything goes. It's a personal thing. The outside world, that's common. But spiritually, that's up to me. That doesn't work. That thinking is so flawed. Things don't work in our physical world and are totally different in our spiritual world. We have to have some standards for life and how we live. So what's happened? Every theology, every ideology, every religious sect, every movement, every individual has thrown their ideas into this collective pot of opinion and confusion. We've taken the most basic concept and we've abstracted it, confused it, and mystified it. So let's demystify it here today. God owns the spiritual world. He sets the standard. Period. End of debate. And the beautiful thing is he's given us the Bible as the story of his standard. As the story of our repeated failures at achieving it. And his wonderful, redemptive alternative for us. You see, from the very beginnings of Genesis, we see God setting the standard. We see him clearly defining the rules for our lives. And with that first crunch of forbidden fruit, the precedent is set. We take a look further at Adam and Eve's son, Cain. God sets the standard. A lamb sacrifice, a burnt offering. Doesn't work for Cain. Cain revises. He alters the standard a bit. Some nice fruits and vegetables. Again, God's standard isn't kept. We fail. He begins to justify his actions. And it begins Cain's downward spiral into confusion, into sin, 
into rebellion, into jealousy, hate, anger, murder, and isolation. And try as hard as we may, we're no different really than Cain. His end was very tragic, but his beginnings are really no different than ours. Try as hard as we may, we can never live up to God's standard. We can live lives we think are moral. We can live lives we think are ethical. We can do what we feel is right. We can even go to church. We can try and please everybody and everyone. We can sit in those church seats Sunday after Sunday. We can read our Bibles. We can pray. We can try to do everything we feel is pleasing to God. But that's not what God wants. That's Cain's offering. Our standards can never reach God's standards. And he knows that. He realized that. And he gave us the most amazing alternative. He offered us redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice on Calvary's cross. He took our place in death so that we can have eternal life. Jesus Christ became the standard for salvation. And simply by accepting and receiving him as our savior, we can reach that standard in God's eyes. If you haven't made that decision, like that song said, don't wait. Don't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Tomorrow may not be here for you. Make that decision today. And for believers, praise God. He doesn't save us and leave us without direction. He's filled the pages of his word with directions for living, basic instructions for life. Today, as believers and followers of Christ, I want us to take a look at this standard that God has set. And I want us to assess our lives and our own personal standards. I want to challenge each one of us today to desire, to decide, and to purpose to raise that standard in our personal lives. From the first step of salvation, what happens? Something has changed. Something's different. You see, change accompanies salvation. When we reconcile with God by way of the cross, when we pass by Calvary and we see the crucified Christ, when we lay our burdens at the foot of the cross and accept Him as our substitute and our personal Savior, we get up and we're no longer the same as we were before Calvary. There is a difference. There has to be a change. It's the very essence of true salvation. See, we no longer live according to those old standards we used to. We live now according to God's standards. And our life shows a change. Our life is different. And our world around us, our family, our friends, our co-workers, our fellow students, they see it. They notice a difference. You see, there's got to be a change. There has to be something different in your life. Have you paid much attention to the change, the coins in your pocket? Let me tell you why. You might want to take another look. Because it's possible that someone right now has a coin of incredible value without even knowing it. Listen why. An extremely rare 1943 copper penny, of which only about 40 were ever made, is now back in circulation. It's the only one that's known to be back in circulation. Why? Let me tell you why. It's normally worth one cent, but this little penny is worth $500,000. This is true. This, this little coin is worth half a million dollars. And you might have it right now. Because last August, a man from Idaho, a coin collector, 
who had the rare penny in his collection for years. He accidentally mixed it in with his regular change and he spent it. The penny is known as a weedy to coin collectors and it has not yet been rediscovered by a new owner. Almost everyone who hears this story says the same thing. How careless. I would never have been so careless. But you know what? It's a mistake any one of us could have made. Why? Because the penny looks exactly like every other penny you own. It feels the same. It looks the same. In fact, it has the exact same weight. The markings are so slightly different that at first glance, you can't tell the difference. Friend, are you like that lost little penny today? Is your Christianity unmistakable or is it nearly identical to the ways of the world? Do you claim Christianity on one hand and on the other embrace all of this world's ideologies, all of its behavior and lifestyle? Do you find yourself so steeped, so entrenched in this world's lost standards that the line has blurred even for you? We've heard it said countless times before, Mike always shares this. If you were on trial for being a sold-out believer of Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or is it so hard for this world around you? Is it so hard for your friends and your family and the world you touch to tell the difference any longer when they look at you? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life is different. It has to be. Your life was instantly transformed when you made the decision to follow Christ. Your sins were forgiven. You have the promise of eternal life, spending eternity in heaven with God. You became part of the fellowship of believers, a member of the family of God. You know, we should not only be the happiest people on earth, but our lives should show it. Look, the Bible describes it this way in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It says, but you are God's chosen generation, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his peculiar people. All the old titles of God's people now belong to you. It is now for you to demonstrate the goodness of him who has called you out of darkness and into his amazing light. In the past, you were not a people at all. We were lost individuals living to our own standards. Now you are a people of God. In the past, you had no experience of His mercy, but now it is intimately yours. I want us today to turn to Ephesians. Ephesians 4 and chapter 1. Here's a verse that means so much to me and we should have it etched on our hearts. We should claim it as our course for living. As Christians, as believers, this should remind us every day of how we should behave, how we should live our lives, how our priorities should be set. Paul speaking in verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, when we receive and accept God's salvation through His Son, we are called out of our hopelessness. We are called out of our darkness. We are called into His glorious light. He calls us into a life that's so full of blessings and abundance, but it's equally full of responsibilities and sacrifices. In a world filled with darkness, Matthew 5, 14 and 16 says, 
You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So ask yourself today, how about me? Can the world see a difference in my life? Can they see the change that is a result of having placed my hope entirely in Jesus Christ? Are we like that lost little penny, pretty much indecipherable from everybody else in this world? May our desire today be the same as what Paul wrote for the church of Colossae. He says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says, Then you will live the kind of life that honors and pleases the Lord in every way. You will produce fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. Then God will strengthen you with his own great power. And you will not give up when troubles come, but you will be patient. Then you will joyfully give thanks to the Father. He has made you able to have all that he has prepared for his people who live in the light. God made us free from the power of darkness and He brought us into this kingdom of His dear Son. The Son paid for our sins and in Him we have forgiveness. I love that portion because the standard for our lives is clearly there. And the beautiful thing is, He says, by His power. You see, we're not left up to our own power. We're not left up to what we can do, what we can achieve, what we can accomplish. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us live the way He wants us to. He's equipped us. And the instructions are so clear. We cannot live lives of mediocrity, of lukewarmness, of indifference, of apathy, of not caring any longer. If something changed, something shows. You see, the problem is we're still in the habit we were in before we got saved of taking God's standard. We see it. We know what it is He wants from us. But we're going to alter it to fit what works for us. We're going to alter it so that it personally fits our lifestyle a little bit better. This was Saul's downfall. It's a sad story. This is the text I want us to turn to today. 1 Samuel 13. Saul had such a great start. He placed all his faith and trust in God. He started as such a good king over the nation of Israel. But something somewhere went wrong. We're going to take a look at this. 1 Samuel 13, verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 300 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. 
They went up and camped at Michmash east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical, this was a mighty enemy they were facing, and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, totally fled the battle. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Let's stop and and just get a little background on this. You see, what Saul needed here, what he was waiting for, was Samuel to come and offer a burnt sacrifice to the Lord and rejuvenate the armies and bring unity and vigor back into the soldiers who now were scattering. And the law, the standard that God had set was only a priest could offer a burnt sacrifice. Nobody else could. And Samuel here was on his way. But the situation was was not looking good. The soldiers were scattering and fleeing and Saul was getting very, very desperate. He knew what God wanted. He wanted him to wait. But his personal situation was just very desperate and he was getting very uncomfortable. Verse 9. So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. How many times do we know what God wants from us? We know what His standard is, but it's just too uncomfortable for us. Our situation dictates that we need something else. And it just costs too much, too much of our faith, too much of our comfort to wait on God, to live up to His standards, to adhere to what He wants, to obey His will for us. Let's look at verse 10. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and went out to greet him. Can you imagine the feeling in the pit of Saul's stomach when he saw Samuel approaching? And how many times have we seen this happen? God has such a perfect will for our lives. He has a standard for us. And in haste, we reach out and we grab what works for us today. We grab what's more comfortable for us right now. And then sadly, we see what it is we could have had had we waited on God. Samuel's approaching now. Verse 11. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, Well, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I felt compelled. The justification process begins. I'm hearkening God's call for my life. Is it really God's call? Or is it your personal preference? Is it what you want to do? Is it what's comfortable for you? We take and revise and alter His standard. And then we begin justifying it. Here's why. I have a very good reason. My friend, there is no excuse. Physical, financial. There's no desire. There's no emotion. There's no excuse for living or acting outside of God's will. Let's see how this ends. Verse 13. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. 
You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. This began Saul's downward spiral. And it's such a sad story. The downward spiral and the compromise. We all know how his story ends and the sad consequences of his disobedience to God. His alteration of God's standard. His own priorities. His own comfort level. And scriptures are filled with story after story of this exact same principle. This exact illustration. God's standard our failure at achieving it, and our justification process. From Moses' striking the rock to Jonah's disobedient boat ride to Peter refusing to preach to the Gentiles, the outcome is always the same. It's just added pain and difficult lessons learned for God's children. And you see, this is what we often do. And it's so sad. We justify our actions by saying it was God's urging, His calling. We justify our actions by saying we have a good excuse. We revise His standard to make them more realistic for us. We revise them in this world of ours to make them more socially acceptable, more chic. You see, these are old standards, but for the society of today, we need to alter them, like the rules and standards of our laws change. Absolutely not true. God's standards for living are timeless. They're eternal. And so often we want to give only what doesn't cost much of us. We'll do this here and there. We'll give in to this. I know it's not what God wants me to do, but it's just more difficult. It's, it's a bigger effort to stand up against it. It's very uncomfortable. What, what will people say? What will other people think of me? What will the people around me, how will they mock me? I I don't want to face that. Let, Let me just give in to this here and there. The other thing we do is we take God's standard, His principles, we take them out of context. We try and make them look unrealistic. Have you ever heard a a struggling Christian say, you mean to tell me God doesn't want me to have friends? That's not God's standard. God very much wants you to have friends. But He wants you to have friends who believe the same way you now do. Friends who are walking the same spiritual path and the same journey, who can encourage you, who can help you. He doesn't want you going back to the friends that dragged you down in the first place and that will lead you into utter despair and hopelessness again. You mean to tell me that God doesn't want my child to have fun? Oh, so wrong. Absolutely. God loves for your child to have fun and enjoy and to laugh, but not at the cost of bonding with children that aren't saved. Oh, it's okay now. What happens when they're grown up? What happens when that bond is so tight that that other child now who's living and steeped in the sin of this world brings your child into that same worldly living and behavior with him? God has a different standard. And it's time for us to stop compromising, to stop taking that standard and massaging it a little bit so it works better for us. Believers, God has called us to so much more. He hasn't called us to live lives of compromise. 
He saved us and he called us to live to his standard and he equipped us to live up to it. It's not our own strength. May we truly desire to live lives worthy of his calling. And do we find ourselves today living back to our own lowered standards of what's acceptable? Have we sunk into the compromise of what's comfortable for us? Well, today it's time to rise out. To rise out of this and raise the standard in our personal lives. I agree. I agree, you might say, but where do I begin? I want to raise the standard in my life. I want to live better. I've tried. Where do I begin? There's so much. But it begins very simply. It begins with handing over to God every aspect of your life. Giving Him the keys. Giving Him control. You want to raise the standard in your spiritual life? Give Him the keys to your marriage. You want to raise the standard in your spiritual life? Give Him the keys to your family, your family life. Give Him the keys to your relationships. Give Him the keys to your finances. It begins to hurt. Give Him the keys to your spending habits. Give Him the keys to the language you use at work. Give Him the keys to your workplace behavior. Give Him the keys to your business practices. You want to raise the standard in your spiritual life? Give Him the keys to your time. How about your television viewing habits? Give Him the keys to your internet connection. Give Him the keys to the person you are from Monday through Saturday. Give Him the keys to your actions when you walk out through those doors this afternoon. You want to raise the standard in your spiritual life? Give Him the keys to your hobbies, your habits and your escapes. Give Him the keys to your thought life, your dreams, your aspirations and your priorities. Give Him the keys to all of it. And watch Him work. Watch Him revive your life with a joy unlike any you've ever known. Watch Him fill those feelings of uselessness and empty and routine with the excitement of the eternal. You want adventure in your life? Sell out to Christ. You'll go on the greatest adventure you've ever dreamed. Give it all to Him. Watch Him use you in ways you never dreamed imaginable. Decide today that it's time for a change. Take a look at the world around us. How much more time do you think is left? The Middle East, here in our own homeland, how much more time do you think is left? Time is so short. The days are quickly fleeing. And whether it's through the rapture or that time when your days are up, our time is short. And we need to start living like it counts because you know what? It does. We need to be done with indifference. We need to be done with mediocrity. Put apathy away. Start caring. Be sick and tired of the mediocrity of our lives. Raise the standard. Want more. Want something more for our spiritual life. Jump off that fence and dive into the Christian walk with all of your heart. Raise the standard today. Stop going through the motions with mindless comfort. Desire more. You want more? Raise the standard in your spiritual life. Decide to live entirely for Christ today. Purpose to raise the standard and watch what He does in our lives.
Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for Calvary. For it's there that you bought us. You purchased our pardon and offered us redemption. Father, we know that you have provided for us, from the moment we get saved, a standard of living. A standard based not on our own comfort, our own compromise, our own convictions. It's a standard based not on this world's polluted belief system and their lowered levels of expectations and acceptability. You've set for us a standard of purity, of faithfulness, of truth. And Father, we know that we are not left up to our own strength to live to this. You've given us your Holy Spirit to strengthen and help us. Help us, dear Lord. Help us not to settle for anything less. Help us to put away every stumbling balk in our path, everything that's preventing us from living completely for you. Let us see that this world offers us nothing, that its lowered standards of acceptability and immorality lead us only to heartache, frustration, and hopelessness. And we've been there, Father. But in you is hope, for you are the author of hope. In you is joy, for for you are the founder of joy, Father. In you is peace, true and lasting peace, for you are the perfecter of peace. Grant us strength and grace today, Father, as we leave this place to desire, to decide, and to purpose to want more for our lives than the way we've been living. We want you. We want your ways. We earnestly seek to raise the standard in our lives. We want to live lives, as we read, worthy of the calling that we have received. Father, we commit this desire. We commit our lives completely to you. And we pray in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.